0: If you have your Bibles this morning, just to go ahead and let you know where we're going to be at, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. If you need help finding it, it's okay, because there's the uh, table of contents in the front of your Bible. should be. Because uh, Ezra's not one of those books that you really kind of camp out in and read a whole lot, is it? Is it? So, question that Bobby asked the last two uh, worship hours is, does anybody know of anybody named Ezra. It's a, yeah, okay, so we got one. It is an old name, yeah, like it's not one of those that you hear a lot, and so whenever you get to the book of Ezra, sometimes you're thinking, now nah, that's not a book of the Bible, but it is, it's in there, I promise. Uh, if you have my Bible, it's page 585, I don't know if you have it though. Anyway, so this morning, like I said, we're in the book of Ezra, and if you're following along kind of uh, just in the trajectory and in the arc of where we're at in the, in Israel's story, Right now we're in a really interesting spot, okay? So we have just come out of out of Second Chronicles and we see that, well, Second Chronicles ends kind of kind of crappy, honestly. Um, it ends with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And so after that, after the destruction of the temple, uh Israel is in captivity for 70 years. Who in here is 70 years or older? Okay, so you can imagine, almost a lifetime, right? Almost a lifetime. Israel is in captivity for 70 years. Okay, so add that to how many years did they spend wandering in the wilderness? So they've been in a lot of bad places for a lot of long time, right? And so whenever you come to here to Ezra, it's actually a story of hope, right, and God's faithfulness. So if there was any way that I could quickly describe to you what Ezra is about, it's that. It's hope, God's faithfulness, and his promise of his presence, okay? So, if you wanted to write that down at the top, just that way you remember it later, whenever you go back through the Bible in a year next year, you can do that, okay? So, we're in Ezra chapter 6, but just to kind of catch you up, if you don't know the storyline and timeline of Israel, I'm just going to catch you up real quick, okay? So 2 Chronicles, like I said, ends with the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple. And then the Babylonian captivity lasted 70 years, okay? At that time, well, close to the end of the Babylonian captivity, the whole reason they're even out is because this uh, Medo-Persian king named Cyrus, which we're going to read about him here in just a minute, he he basically said, look, you've been held captive for 70 years. I just defeated the, uh, the Babylonians. We conquered And now, go home. Okay? You can go home back to your city. You can rebuild your temple. Go home. Go do what you do as Israelites. What you know to do. And so, in the very first year of his reign, um, if you were to read in chapter 1, in the very first year of his reign, he says, God roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. What he was saying was like, he, he not only wanted to tell all the Israelites to go home, he actually put it down in writing, in the common tongue of the people. He wrote it in Hebrew to them and said, it is time for you to go home. And so what happens is 40,000 Jews from Babylon went back to Jerusalem. Y'all ever seen a mass of 40,000 people? It's a lot of people, okay? it's a lot of people. So they return under the lead of this dude named, I'm going to try not to mess his name up, but Shesh Bazar. It's difficult, okay? Um, and so he takes them, and then they start construction on the temple almost immediately. So the first thing they do is they build an altar, and then they start to build the foundation. But then they're caught up for 16 years just at a standstill. And I don't know what version you have, but that is actually the word that it uses, is that it remains stopped at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius. Guys, that's 16 years that there was nothing happening on this temple, even though they had been given the right-of-way from King Cyrus, okay? Um, and so you have a whole other king come in. His name is Cambyses, Cambyses II. Um, he reigned for... 10 years, and then in year 520 B.C. is whenever the temple construction restarted, okay? Uh, And the whole reason that happened is because the city planner guy, Ted and I, he was actually a governor, but sounds more like a city planner, because he saw this unfinished project just sitting there, and so he's like, guys, what is is going on here? There's this half-unfinished building that's been sitting here for 16 years. What are y'all going to do with it? Why'd y'all start? And so they tell him, like, hey, uh, so you remember Cyrus? He told us to come back home and rebuild our temple. And so we did, and then all heck broke loose. And we had to stop. And so he writes to Darius, and that's where we pick up. He writes to Darius a letter and says, can you confirm this? And what Darius did was he goes back to their summer palace and finds the original scroll this time written in Aramaic, okay? So, Cyrus wrote a letter to the Jews in Hebrew, but he also had like an official letter that was written in Aramaic, which is what the language was of like all the, this is the language of the court, right? It was the official language. And he found the letter of Cyrus, okay? And so that's what we're picking up in chapter 6. So, everybody still awake? I know that was a lot of history. You may not be history people, I'm a history people, so I felt like y'all needed to know, okay? So we're going to pick up in chapter 6, I'm going to read the first two verses, I know they're not up there, but I'm going to read the first two and then follow along with me starting in verse 3, okay? It says, King Darius gave the order and they searched in the library of uh, Babylon in the archives, but it was in the fortress of Ekbatana in the province of Media that a scroll was found with this record written on it, okay? So like I said, that was their summer palace. He found the original scroll from Cyrus, and then he's reading through it, and this is what it says. In the first year of King Cyrus, he issued a decree concerning the house of God in Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt as a place for offering sacrifices, and let its original foundations be retained. Its height is to be 90 feet, and its width 90 feet, with three layers of cut stones and one timber, one of timber. The cost is to be paid from the royal treasury. Okay, that's pretty cool, right? So one thing to note about Cyrus, he didn't know God, right? He was was not a Jew. There was no Christians, so he was not a Christian. But he said, hey, y'all need to go back home and um, I'm going to make sure your temple is rebuilt personally. It's going to come from the royal treasury. That's crazy. Could you imagine, you know, our government saying, hey, Surf City Baptist Church or The Gathering or Life Walk Down the Road or Salem Baptist Church, y'all need a new church building. I'm going to build it for you. Could y'all imagine? No, I can't either. The only thing I get is I feel like they want my money, not to give me money. So what happened was he personally made sure that the the, um, temple was built. That is super cool. Okay? So let's keep rolling. The gold and silver articles of God's house that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and carried to Babylon must also be returned. They are to be brought to the temple in Jerusalem where they belong and put into the house of God. Okay, so not only is he making sure the temple's rebuilt, but he's like, look, everything that the guy uh, who conquered y'all and destroyed your city, everything that he took from y'all and from the house of God and from God himself, it's coming back. It's coming right back. That is amazing. Not only does he say that it's coming back, but he says it's coming back to the temple in Jerusalem where it belongs. Guys, that is cool. This guy who doesn't even know God is saying all these things. Okay, so that points out one thing to me, right? He didn't know God. How does he know what God wants? It's because God uses people who he that he wants to use, right? Because... What God wants is for Israel to be back where they belong in the promised land, right? The land that he had given them, and he wants them to worship. as That is primary rule number one, okay? That is what God wants, okay? So now we get to, we just read Cyrus's decree. That was written like 538, okay? If you want to keep track of numbers, you can. You can write it down if you want to. You don't have to. And now we're getting to Darius' decree, which is about 520, so 18 years later. Okay? He says, Therefore, you must stay away from that place, Tadani, governor of uh, the region west of the Euphrates River. Shethar Buzani, and your colleagues, the officials in the region, leave the construction of the house of God alone. Let the governor and elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its original site. Okay, So Darius is like, the reason it's sitting unfinished is because they've been messed with all these years and people have been trying to knock them down and discouraging them from building. He's like, the reason it's not done is because y'all keep messing with them. Don't touch them, is what Darius said. Don't touch them. Just leave them. Leave them alone. Let them be. And he says, leave the house of God alone and let them rebuild the house of God on its original site. So, this is Darius' decree, I hereby issue a decree concerning what you are to do so that the elders of the Jews can rebuild the house of God. Again, he reiterates, the cost is to be paid in full to these men out of the royal revenues from the taxes of the region west of the Euphrates River so that the work will not stop. Okay, so not only has he made provision financially, but now he's also making provision for there's not going to be any halts, Like, guys, this has no red tape, okay? You work until it's done. We're not going to mess with you. We're going to fund you. And then he doesn't just stop there. He says, whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, and lambs for burnt offerings to the God of the heaven, or wheat, salt, wine, or oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, let it be given to them every day without fail. So every day they received a shipment from the government. That is cool. That is so cool. Darius is making sure that the temple is rebuilt. He's making sure that the Jews can do what it is that Jews are supposed to do, and that's to worship God. And so a little bit later, I'm going to ask you all a question to really think on, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you now too, so that way you can go ahead and start thinking on it. Okay? What was the purpose of the temple? Right? What was the purpose of the temple? Because they're not just building a temple just, well, you know, temples are cool. No, they're building it for a purpose. There is a reason for it. So start thinking on that, and then we're going to come back to that question later, okay? Um, but the reason he's given these things to them every day is so that they can offer sacrifices, a pleasing aroma to the God of the heavens. And then, right here, here's his little personal request and pray for the life of the king and his sons. So this is a little insight into who Darius is, right? He is like a equal opportunist. He wants everybody to pray for him. He doesn't care what what god you serve, what god you worship. He wants everybody to pray for him. And so he's like, well Jews, yeah, they got to have a place where they can go and worship and um you know, sacrifice and oh yeah, and and to pray for me. Like Don't forget me. Don't forget the guy who, you know, let this all happen. And then here's what I think is really cool. So Darius has provided funding. He's provided protection. Guess what? He's also provided another decree. This is one that Cyrus didn't give. He says, I also issue a decree concerning any man who interferes with this directive. Let a beam be torn from his house and raised up. He will be impaled on it and his house will be made into a garbage dump because of this offense. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said too whenever I read it. May the God who calls his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who dares to harm or interfere with this house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued the decree. Let it be carried out diligently. Okay. So yeah, whenever you read that, it doesn't matter how many times you've read it. If this is your first time reading Ezra, or if it's your... 20th, 30th, 40th, whatever. That's a kind of startling statement. Like, you don't expect to read that as you're reading through here. But what he's doing is providing insurance that this temple will be done. Because, you know, it says that let it be carried out diligently. It means, hey, I mean business. Anybody messes with y'all? I'm sorry. They're done. All right? It's been 18 years. The temple needs to be completed. Then Ted and I, governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Shethar Bazanai and I and their colleagues diligently carried out what King Darius had decreed. So they're like, oh man, he means business. I don't want to... Um, so the Jewish elders continued successfully with the building under the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, son of Edo. They finished the building according to the command of God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and King Artaxerxes of Persia this house was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Whew. Okay, guys, we finished. Good job. You are hanging in there. I'm proud of you. So, there's a lot going on here, right? But the whole purpose of this statement, of this passage, is to point out that, first of all, God is faithful to his people. Have you all experienced that? God's faithfulness? God's faithfulness? Yeah, it's it's good, right? God is just as faithful to Israel, even though every turn in every book in the Old Testament, guess what Israel's doing? Messing up. Yeah, God is still faithful. So, it proves he's faithful. It also gives a glimmer of hope, right? So, why was the first temple destroyed? It was because of Israel's sin, right? It was not just because... Of just world circumstances and, you know, governments are doing what governments do. No, it's because of Israel's sin that God allowed them to be destroyed and taken captive for 70 years. Okay? But what he does is he says, no, I'm faithful to my people. And I'm going to make sure they come back to the land that I promised. That I promised them. That he promised them. He doesn't take away his promises, right? He promised the land to them so they were going to have it. And not only that, but the temple. Okay, so coming back to our question, okay? What was the purpose of the temple? It was to show God's presence. The first temple was built so that way God had a dwelling place, right? A dwelling place here on earth. God has never left His creation. He may have pulled back, withdrawn a little bit, but he's never left us, right? He walked with us, walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, in the garden. His presence was there. Even after the fall, God used prophets. God had a temple. This is where his his presence was at. He dwelled among the people in the temple. His presence was never gone. So when the first temple was destroyed, Israel was like, where's God? Um. So whenever the second one was being rebuilt, they're like, oh, yes. So if you read in chapter 3, it says, this is just after the foundation was laid, guys. Okay, It says, Many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. But many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping because the people were shouting so loudly. There was weeping. There was joyful cries. Everything, every kind of reaction was happening just as the foundation was completed. A lot of the people were we- the older people were weeping because they had seen the first temple. They understood their sin, right? They understood that uh, because of their sin, they were exiled and, their- and the first temple destroyed. But whenever they saw the second temple being rebuilt, even just the foundation. You get excited about small beginnings. That's what was happening. They were getting excited and weeping also because it's a beautiful thing that the temple was being rebuilt. So that way, the symbolism of the presence of God dwelling among His people again was so real. Okay? So, again, going back to our kind of timeline thing here, God's presence never left Adam and Eve. He walked with them. Then we have God in the temple and the prophets God's presence being among them. And then we get to Jesus. Guess what? God in human form. God in flesh. Right? His presence just just there. And then now, we have the Holy Spirit. Again, God's presence. So God's presence is one of the most important things. That is one of the main themes within the Bible. It's just how God interacts and communes with His people. But then there's a requirement of us too, right? Right? we get to worship. So that was one of the main things that Cyrus and Darius both pointed out was that the people needed to go and worship. That's what we were created to do. Right? God God knows that about every single one of you. You all have an insatiable desire to worship something. The question is, just what is it? Or who is it? And don't think you can ever be Fulfilled in any other worship other than the worship of God, because you're not. You're it's insatiable, it is totally insatiable. You will never meet the end of it unless your worship is focused on God. So the call is called to worship, and he Darius warns everyone who would try to impede the construction on it because he he also knows how important it is for them to worship. Because, again, Darius was an equal opportunist, right? He wants everybody to pray for him too, but they can, he can, they can only pray for him if they have an altar and can offer sacrifices and can worship and just pour themselves out every day at the temple. So his motivations were a little bit skewed, but guess what? God's purposes still remain. The temple was rebuilt. God was present with them again. And here's what I think is really cool. So that ending verse that we read, it says in verse 14. It's a long one, so hang in there with me. So the Jewish elders continued successfully with the building under the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet and Zechariah, uh, oh, and Zechariah, son of Edo. They finished the building according to whom? According to the command of whom? God. So let me, tell, let, let me ask you. You had two kings here mentioned, Cyrus and Darius. They thought it was all them. They thought it was their decree, right? They thought it was them who was kind of stirring the pot and allowing the Israelites to go back home. But it wasn't. It was God. So why do you think God wanted the temple to be rebuilt? Do you think He's magically held inside the temple? Or forces Himself to be constrained inside the Holy of Holies? No. It's not that at all. It's because the Israelites used the temple to worship. Right? God wanted worship to be reinstated in the, in the right way. He wanted His people to truly bow down before Him and do what they were created to do because it all centers around worship. Again, every single one of you Worship something. Even as Christians, sometimes we don't worship God rightly, right? We'll put other things in His place. We'll put other things on the throne of our hearts. And I know that it may be an overused statement, but guess what? It doesn't take away any truthfulness from it at all. Right? So, what do do you worship? What do you worship? Worship is important. That's why the second temple was rebuilt. Now, God's presence is with us all the time because we have the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't even have to come here. It's cool that we get to worship together because I think that's something that God calls us to do, right? That's something that Scripture says we're supposed to do. But you're not confined to just worship on Sundays from what time is it? Ten... 10.40 to 11.40, that's not the only time that you get to worship. You were created to worship and so you need to do it. Every day, every minute of the day. We're not confined to a temple anymore. So go out and worship. Tell others who you worship and tell them why. Man, it is a cool thing to brag on God. Has anybody had anything cool this past week that you're like, oh yeah, God God had His hands all in it. I'm sure every one of you could raise your hand, and I'm not going to ask you to, but every one of you could raise your hand and say, even within the past month, like, yeah, that was all God. I had nothing to do with it. We've all got those stories, and guess what? I think He gives us those stories so that we can tell them. Right? So, I just want you to think. The temple was rebuilt because God said it. God said so. Not Cyrus, not Darius, not Artaxerxes. Of course, we didn't even read his name. But it doesn't matter. None of those people were the causes or the forces that made it happen. It was God who did it. And he did it so that way the temple could be rebuilt and people could worship again. And we need to do the same. It was a return of the people back to what God had called them to do. Sometimes God calls us to do the same. Return back to Him. Right? Even in Revelation, that's what we read. Is um, yeah, I don't remember which church it was now. I think it was Laodicea. But He said, return to your first love. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes we have to remember the sweetness of God and how good He is. And return to Him. Pour out everything we have before Him. And just bow down and worship. So, that is my challenge for y'all this week, okay? I like to leave with a challenge. That is my challenge. And it's not one that you'll be able to accomplish this week, just so you know. It is one that you'll have to do every single day, every single hour, and every single minute, right? So, let's pray. And if you, if you don't know Jesus, like, and you don't know who you worship or what you worship... Come talk to me. We'll, we'll have a Jesus conversation, okay? Because he's, he's awesome, all right? But even while we're praying, if you think that you want to come and talk, come on, I'm right here, okay? So let's pray, and we'll go ahead and close out today. God, we thank You for this morning. God, we thank You for Your goodness, God, and just Your faithfulness as You've shown us in the book of Ezra to Your people, God, and to Your promise, God, that they would have... Um, The promised land. But even more so than that, God, that they would be your people. God, and that you would not leave them or forsake them, even whenever they fail so many times. And not just once in one generation, but God, generationally, they have a problem of just being unfaithful to you. Yet, God, you are faithful. And you brought them back to the place that you had promised. And you ensured that their temple would be rebuilt. God so that way they can worship you. God, and I pray that you do that for us too. God, show us the areas in our lives where we are holding back, where we are being unfaithful. God, where we need to pour those out before you and worship you, even in our brokenness sometimes. God, I just pray that you would be with us, walk with us today, and point those things out to us. God, we love you so much. And I know it's just a, even a glimmer of the amount that you love us and the way that you love us, but... God, help us to love you back rightly and walk with you daily so that we don't miss a thing that you're doing because you do so much. God, we love you. And it's all in your precious name we pray. Amen.